This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Scaramouche, a novel by Raphael Sabatini, first published in 1921. And uh, first time for me reading any Sabatini. Uh, Paul, you read some before, is that right? I read Captain Blood a long time ago. Uh-huh. Right? The first time I Julie? read this one. Julia, you read any Sabatini I've before? read a lot of Sabatini. I read yeah, this was your suggestion to do yeah, some Sabatini, Yeah, I right? read Captain Blood a couple times, and this now is my second time, and the Seahawk, and there are a variety of them. And mm-hmm. Scaramouche and Captain Blood are his best, I think, is agreed on. Right here, yeah. Uh, Misa, how many had you read prior? Zero. Zero, okay. Zero. But you did read something that uh, this is often com- compared to, which is uh, the Dantin, what, what's it called? Um, Man in the Iron Mask? No, no. What's the one you read? Oh, right. Um, uh, Monte Cristo, The Count oh, of Monte, Monte, Monte Cristo. Cristo. Which right. I have yes. to say was a superior book by far. Oh. But also longer, right? Yes, longer, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's oh. doing a lot more in that book than I think Sabatini was trying to do. Yeah. In his, yeah. so yeah, it's definitely they're definitely different but similar. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I, I, I like, I Jeff, I definitely like the book, but um, there's one of the things that I'm curious about, and I think uh, I want to ask you guys about this. What do you think about the morality of this book, like of the main character? You mean his journey? I guess because he starts it is off a journey. with nothing. I mean, he starts off just being detached. Yeah. And as he ta- and as he stands up for his friend and takes on what his friend believes and acting out what his friend believes, right? He gradually acquires those beliefs himself as he sees how they apply in the world. But then yeah, he abandons those beliefs. And yeah, like so, he was all about you know don't kill for class or sport but then he didn't seem too upset when he when he didn't know whether or not he killed miss monsieur binet yeah mm-hmm. like in terms of morality you know he was all on his eye horse and he's like i don't care if i killed him he deserved it and then he betrays the revolution by you know getting one of the worst guys out of the country well, yeah but it was his dad i uh, yeah i got that <laughs> but um it, he's also an asshole right i mean that guy was but don't you think there he was taking on how one would so-called honorably act in those circumstances? Yeah, I, I kind of forgave him for that one. Mm. Yeah, he didn't really have a sense of honor in the beginning because he was so detached from everything. He could see all points of view, and that was his problem. Yeah, that's how they described him, didn't they? As somebody completely detached who, because he could see all sides? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something to this, Paul. What what what's your take on it? Uh, everybody in this novel is morally gray. There is no, I, I, I there's no white hats or black hats at all. I was ex- expecting something a little more clear cut, especially because I had seen the movies and I rewatched the movies. And when I came to the actual books, like, okay, this guy is not the, uh, this guy. Okay, there's no. Okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? There aren't any. It's it's it's. I should say. How can I put this? It's uh, it's 
it's maddeningly <laughs> indistinct as to who who to root for. I mean, Scaramouche is our protagonist, but he's not a hero in the least. Yeah, no, he does heroic things, but he's definitely... And because he's the viewpoint character, generally, I mean, there's a few... Uh, kind of odd, really. Sort of it suddenly becomes like a historical yeah, that was, narrative. Yeah, because it was so mm-hmm. inconsistent and just every once in a while. I, I like. I mean, it didn't ruin the book, oh, no, but I, I was it. like, "What? Where's this coming from?" But don't um, you think that is why the book is named Scaramouche? Because Scaramouche yes. is a character who allows you to see the absurdity of different people's actions through his own absurd actions as a clown character, and so. Although Andre doesn't think of himself that way, he kind of he acts like that through the whole book. He is the goad. And and because people act inconsistently based on what they want at the time, you know, his relationship with his adopted cousin drives him more than he even realizes. So he is acting as Scaramouche even when he's not realizing it. I mean, I the second time through, I was like, oh, I get the born with the gift of laughter and. You know, that kind of thing. So Aline, I would say, is the one yeah. who comes closest to holding up right. the virtue yeah, of... Yeah, me too. Of the good right. one uh, good guy. She's consistent. Yeah. Uh, consistent. Unfortunately, we don't, you know, see a lot from her POV other than right at the end where she gives us her, her story. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, so I think it does need to sort of be titled Scaramouche to give you that sense of... Uh, Apparently, that's that opening line is also on the the epigram. Is that what it's called yeah, on the grave? Epitaph. Yep. That's epitaph, right? On the grave of Sabatini. Um, I think that's actually a, a pretty good way of looking at the world too, right? You laugh at all the horrible madnesses that are happening, not like uh, because they're humorous, but because the alternative is is sadness, mm-hmm. depression, right. and all yeah. his stories seem to be kind of a prisoner of Zenda situation. I mean, they're all people who are thrust into adventures without meaning it, but they all have a more um, moral development of the characters, whether or not you agree with the morality, whether or not it's gray. I mean, they're all pushing the character towards something else. And what's interesting is that he always based them on somebody real. He may not have, have known what their motive, those people's inner motivations were. He puts those in because he's an author, but the basic points of their life he hits. I didn't stop to look this guy up, unfortunately. But There's another way of looking at this novel, and it's in the subtitle of the novel. It's Scaramouche, A Romance of the French Revolution. Ah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, when we start mm-hmm. off as, as Scaramouche inadvertently being one of the uh, sparks to the uh, powder keg of the French Revolution with his, uh, with his uh, speeches and in the town. His incendiary speeches. His incendiary speeches, not even realizing what he's doing. Then, then of course, later on, he winds up uh, being the, the paladin of the third and yeah. def- right. defending. And th- then going back to what you were saying about pulling up the historical perspective, that Sabatini seems to be critiquing the excesses of the French Revolution, especially when we start <laughs> mentioning, mentioning of certain certain characters and what they're going to do, although they're outside the scope of this book, the book seems to be uh, pro-Jacobin. It's like, 
the first solution was necessary, but then it went too far. Mm-hmm. So, so the uh, the actual morality through line of the book is actually a critique of how the fresh revolution got started and progressed, and will eventually go go beyond this beyond uh, beyond the pale when uh, when the director when the directory starts uh, chopping off heads, which mm-hmm. thankfully doesn't happen. Inside inside the book, that would have, that would have been a real yeah, downer. But the, the, <laughs> the character has knowledge of the future, right? Yes. So yeah, the, he, yes. He tells us basically, uh, yeah, I don't see this going well, and that sort of excuses a lot of of the morality. Although I think when he does shoot Benet and doesn't, I mean, the, it doesn't the, care. I, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so this is. Uh, uh, he's a he's kind of a I was gonna say cipher I don't know if that's right he's 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 uh, mysterious this guy like the main character we don't know what he's thinking until he t- opens his mouth and when he opens his mouth I, I I I tended to believe everything he said was like actually what he thought but um, if you look at sort of the consistency throughout um, it's not all like. I think that scene is very, uh, very well written book, right? There's a lot of good writing in here, but that scene right when he's run off after confronting the king's lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that's a yeah, the one where he compares them to. Um, I, I thought that was the bit that kind of started the whole French Revolution mm-hmm. part. When he, the, the, are you talking about when he says a tiger is the lord of the jungle, and then yeah. that whole that whole thing? You, you want me to read that? Yeah, yeah, sure, got it. The tiger is the great lord of the jungle and was for centuries the terror of lesser beasts, including the wolf. The wolf himself a hunter, wearied of being hunted. He mm, took to associating right. with other wolves, and then the wolves, driven to form packs for self-protection, discovered the power of the pack and took to hunting the tiger with disastrous results. And it felt like when he said that, he mm-hmm. kind of was solidifying what the revolution meant in his own brain. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to incite everybody else. Yeah, and so, so, but he's got this dual motivation, right? Uh, and becomes another kind of motivation. So, like when he's giving that speech, um, it's to regain honor, to punish the wicked, um, and also because he believes it. But he doesn't really believe. Like he's playing the actor already. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then when he comes, a, there's so many things that are, this is like, yeah, I don't think this is history because it's like it foreshadows this. Right. Some authors do that, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, they, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's kind of why we like fiction versus real life stories only. The overview. Mm-hmm. But he, when he comes upon the actors and he finds them to be overly melodramatic, I'm like, well, no, that, all those arguments, <laughs> <laughs> it applies to the book too, right? I mean, it is. Oh, yeah up and down but um he takes on the role of actor as easily as he took on the role of orator he takes on the role of um paladin as easily as he takes on the role of actor he, he can do everything right he's he's a very heinleinian sort of uh hyper competent yeah yeah hyper competent but, but it seems uh, like actor was his overarching like exactly like, yeah and it's so funny that when we get to him and he's introduced to all the characters, there's already a guy named Scaramouche there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's almost like the author has to force that other Scaramouche off stage in order to get him into the role of Scaramouche. 
because we know what the name of the book is. We know it's sort of, you know, that's who he's going to be, right? But mm-hmm. <laughs> there's already a guy there doing the job, and the plot just sort of uh, takes a while, not, not forever, but it takes a little bit to get that other guy out and get him in. Um, and when it does, um, the 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 comedy, the drama of them having all their money stolen, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a pretty great um, pretty great sort of sequence. I, I think that middle portion of the book is excellent, and, and, and it's because I think it's excellent because not only is it the titular part of the book, but it's the whole becoming the mask. I mean, he's mm-hmm, scaramouche. Right. He's scaramouche yeah. throughout the entire book. But in the middle portion, he's Scaramouche and playing Scaramouche. So <laughs> the the in the inner portion of his life is reflected out onto the stage, and we can see what we can see him do all the gears. He's manipulating the company. He's driving them forward. He's doing. He's he he's himself in his purest expression. I mean, I I believed him as Scaramouche more than I believed him as a pal, as a dueling uh, dueling swordsman in the third or the. Uh, Order, or, 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 or the order in the first. I mean, Scar- he is Scaramouche. He is best as Scaramouche. Scaramouche he's is best as Scaramouche. Scaramouche. He says, oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, no, that's it. I was going to say he's happiest. That's when he seems most right. content with himself. That's my he's point. Doing yeah. Is, yeah, because he says, I think I found what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. And so everything else he does is motivated by his desire for revenge or, you know, circumstances forcing him out. And he's like, you did what with who to his, you know, fiance. Mm-hmm. And um, those circumstances force the story on. Right. But he himself, that's why he can become a good swordsman. Right. And I think how to take on those roles. Yeah. And then, and the rest of it is when he, at the very end, when he says, we are all the sport of destiny. I think the rest of it was, you know, enforced on him. He didn't want it. Yeah. But that also makes us think of the author forcing, you know, the plot to go in this direction, that direction. Uh, One of the things, this is why I love looking at adaptations because it's other people trying to force the uh, often. It's other people trying to force the story oh, in right. directions, and then th- that is, allows you to see, um, allows you to see what's going on in the actual book or whatever it is, and and appreciate it uh, for sort of how it had to be. <clears throat> and um, so, for example, in the in the 1952 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not his dad. It's his brother, <laughs> which puts a really different spin on it. I kept going. He's not. That guy's not old enough. <laughs> the cat right. is not old enough. <laughs> My husband right. hadn't seen it. He's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the relationship, you know, they're competing for the girl. Uh, when it's his brother, it's a different story than when it's his. It's his dad. Right. That is a different story altogether. And then that puts the relationship. um, So, you know, egality, uh, fraternity, right? Liberty. Liberty, egality, fraternity. Brotherhood seems to be the message of the final book, right? Um, In liberty, equality, fraternity, the book can sort of be also shoved into that direction. Like it's, it's broken into three books, right? The, the robe, which I assume to be like the robe of a lawyer, yep, or an orator, oh, right? right? Well, and I was also thinking a robe of the of the killed, almost priest. priest. Well, he's a friend. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. Right. Yeah. 
and um, and he uses the name Omnis Omnibus, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a uh, a fun name. <laughs> well, all for all, all right? All, yeah. Right. Uh, or all, 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 all. all, yeah. Um, and then in the buskin, which is uh, it it's like a boot, but I think it's more like costume or like mask, right? Right. Putting on the costume. That's the oh. whole sequence with um with being on the stage, and then the sword. He, that's when he becomes a fencing guy, right? And also takes to the revolution. Well, the mask um, also is him learning how to hide his message within a different story. He's writing these stories that are are making making points, and that's why, you know, they're just well done. And mm -hmm. that's why people start flocking to the theater and everything. And he himself then is learning, I don't have to just come out and go, hey, everybody, here's what I think. I can tell it in this other way that people will pick up. So that's part of it, too, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ask. Yeah, I mean, he starts He starts off as the blatant political message and then learns to uh, learns how to uh, mold and transmogrify that into, uh, into, into something more palatable and less uh, didactic. But then he does that that forcing thing again, or is it the author or the character? It, you know, he he says, "Okay, now I'm going to have the the character say something that will enrage the audience, right? So that yeah. they go and attack the the first uh, the second riot. estate, it is, right. right? Yeah, the riot, yeah. the titled classes, or whoever it is, privileged estates. That's what it's called. Um, so that that sort of reflects. Like it, it almost is all of the scenes, all the other characters are like window dressing for this. It, it becomes very meta in, uh, in the reading. Like you've got this guy who's playing a role. He plays the role, but you know, it's also very Shakespeare. What's the seven ages of man? He plays a man that plays many parts in mm -hmm. his role, right? We've got for some, first he plays the, the student and then, the, was the pouting student, yeah. <laughs> and then the 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 swordsman, and and then the elder statesman. And do you guys read about the fact that there's a sequel to this book? I yeah. did. I heard it was horrible. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I read too. That's yeah, that's what I read as well. But I read also about what the plot's about, and it's like you know how we have this feeling at the end of the book, like hmm, kind of seemed like he didn't really hold up with the values of the things that he was going for all oh. throughout. Well, guess what? It's a complete reversal. It's called Scaramouche the Kingmaker. Oh, God. Oh, bring Christ. the king back. Right. right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. He's not a royalist? <laughs> yeah. So, he, and, and, and reading a bit more about it, uh, it turns out that the king he's trying to bring back, who's off, you know, real life king, um, is hitting on his girlfriend or his wife, <laughs> Aline now, uh, and, uh, it's like, yeah, so it, it, he he's him? a. I, I don't <laughs> historically, I do not think so. But uh, I think the the puppetry that's going on is is he's puppeting other people, other people are puppeting him, and the author's puppeting all of them. Mm. But to a greater or lesser degree, like you know, uh, when when we're thinking about the staging of the comedy. Uh, Comedy dart, what, yeah. how, are, mm -hmm. this, uh, Italian mimicry sort of improvisational thing, it, talking about 
playing up to the roles. It, it, it becomes super, super meta, I think. I, I was like, this is really weird. <laughs> because you don't normally think, of, like, uh, the stuff that happens in, like, Prisoner of Zenda or mm-hmm. a traditional swashbuckler, mm-hmm. it does... It, it it's almost like this is a you know like a princess bride except without the comedy. <laughs> yeah. No? Yeah, kind of. I mean, there are a few funny bits, but it's not it's not played as a comedy. Well, and it's funny when you said thinking of other ways of telling the story through film or whatever. But what I was thinking of is what Misa connecting it with the Count of Monte Cristo, which of course it's a revenge tale. So there you go. But I also was thinking of it as falling somewhere between a tale of two cities, which is of the French revolution and showing both sides, why mm-hmm. the peasants revolt and that they go too far. And then Nicholas Nickleby. So I'm going both ways with Dickens because Nicholas Nickleby, it's not a great book because there's not no character development, but in the middle, he falls in with a traveling theater and he becomes the person who can write the great scripts and get them further along and all this kind of thing. And he's forced out by circumstances. He would have been happy staying there. So it's, it really echoes those two books a lot. It kind of falls in between, like I say. Hmm. So uh, there's, um, another thing that I was really, really, um, reminded of and this is why i love reading old books because people you read more recently like are in people who are alive more recently and have written <laughs> books were uh readers themselves I, I i think there are some kind of writers who weren't readers before they uh became writers but i, I don't think there's that many at least not any of the good ones that i've read they tended to be people who read a lot and then sort of transferred that energy yeah. into yeah. writing after a certain point. And like often the, those, those writers basically don't read anymore after a certain point, but before that point they were just ravenous and they read everything and they really appreciated it. And it, it sort of informs their work somehow. So, uh, I was reminded of a really cool little, uh, character in, uh, he's sort of a breakout character from a series of novels by, uh, Donald Westlake. Um, Donald Westlake wrote under another pseudonym called, uh, a pseudonym called Richard Stark. Mm. And he wrote a series of 28, uh, um, heist novels, basically, uh, uh, starring a guy named Parker. They turned it into a movie several times. Um, but what's so cool about it is, you know, you've got this sort of criminal character. We know his motivation is, is to score money, but he never like does anything with the money. He just likes taking scores, right? <laughs> like, and so the, you, you get a whole series of books after the first one, which I, I think is the weakest, where he has this sort of revenge motivation. Each subsequent book is just like, I want money. I'm going to steal money because I'm a, a thief. How do I steal money? And what happens is they, he assembles a crew. They go do the job. Usually they get away and then the crew sort of attack each other. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then, you know, he survives getting some of the money, losing a lot of it. And then the next book is, okay, I'm putting together another score. We go out and write this. So you have this series of basically, uh, 
adventures, roll and repeat adventures. But the main character is, is he doesn't even like want to do anything with the money. He just like wants to get it. He's living. He's right? got to do something with his time. That's right. Everyone has to do something. And Scaramouche, you know, like he's just living. <laughs> he finds out that his motivation, oh, good. I've got this motivation from on high. You know, I'm given this opportunity. My friend is killed by my dad and I got to go in a revenge. Oh, okay. Now I'm done with that. Now, <laughs> right. Um, so you've got huh. one guy who's got this really standard motivation, um, in Parker, but, uh, about six books into the series, um, assembling all of these, you know, as- accessory criminals, because it's always like a multiple person bank job or, you know, train heist or whatever it is. Right. Um, Westlake introduces a new, ca- uh, that's Richard Stark, the author, introduces a, a character who's just, He's like a breakout character, and he's an actor who is also a criminal. He's a Summerstock <laughs> actor uh-huh. who, when in the off season, just takes scores, right? He robs banks and robs, uh, you know, <laughs> breaks into theaters and steals on the money there. Whatever it is, he just takes money whenever he can, and he treats it like a role, right? So he says, okay, I'm doing the motivation my motivation here is to get the money, and uh, hmm. and in, so in that in that book you've got like you know six or seven characters. One of them is just really greedy. Another one is like I'm a professional. Another one has a sick daughter, right? And then there's this actor who's he's playing the role of a criminal, and he'll do all the jobs. And then <laughs> at the end of the book, he's one of the few that survives. Um, he gets away with some of the money, but then he's just so fun in that book that Westlake decides to give him his own spin-off series where he's a actor in Summerstock, loves the theater and loves performing and uh you know goes but he's he's not quite handsome enough to do Hollywood, right? <laughs> so he just sort of tours the areas and then gets into uh criminal you know robbing banks and that sort of thing in the in the off season. <laughs> what was that book what was that book called where he's introduced? I mean uh, it's called the score. That one's the score. the score. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I wanted to read the uh, the Wikipedia entry here for Alan Grofield is the name of the character. Okay. Um. Okay. He is uh, a supporting character in an, in four novels. Uh sorry, uh, a supporting character in four novels, and then he has his own four novels. Grofield's first appearance was in the novel The Score, which was published in 1964. Career criminal and professional thief, Grofield is devilishly handsome. Oh. That's not quite oh. exactly right. And char- a charming womanizer who's... But this is also from his own... Like, he... That's the role he puts upon himself. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose main passion is the life on the stage. This love of the theater does not extend to cinema. Garfield has a deep disdain for television and film acting, and despite the fact that the film and TV roles can be lucrative, Garfield will not pursue acting in those fields. The primary reason he steals is to keep his summer stock company running. <laughs> he might as well quit his second profession if he could make a living through his first. But he finds his second profession as fulfilling as well. During the events of the score, Garfield meets his future wife and acting partner, Mary Deegan a hostage taking during the heist in that novel, who insists on leaving the town with him. She is referenced in the Garfield novels. Um, and so uh, we get the, those books are called, the spinoff novels are Lemons Never Lie, um, le- a lemon being like a bad score, sour, right? Mm. 
The Damsel, the Dame, and the Blackbird. <laughs> Is that one title? That's a great title. That's no, a... those are the, those are the uh, subsequent books. Oh, the, Damsel, the that's Dame, great. And the Blackbird. I, I want that as a title of a single book, The Damsel, Me the too. Blackbird. <laughs> I love that. Right. Pretty good. Right. So uh, it, it, I was just very much remind like there's nothing specifically uh, from this plot that's about that, but that whole set center sequence, it's it's acting in books that you you almost never see that like what it's like to be in the theater, what it's like to be part uh, of a company. Be part of a company, mm-hmm. and and also like the like the, the way Benet, I I really like the way he kept threatening to expose him whenever, yeah, <laughs> whenever he's yeah. like, oh, your things aren't going my way perfectly. You know, I could always get my money the other way. I'll tell you. And he you says, are. oh, forget about that, forget about that. But there is the other way. <laughs> no matter how many times he says to forget it, I'll never bring it up again. He always brings it up again. Well, you know, and having read several of these uh Sabatini's books, it strikes me that his weakness is kind of his third act. Captain Blood, I find the third act is interesting, but it goes on too long for me. The Seahawk, oh man, the middle part, love it. You know, we're in the center of Islam at that point. It is um, it is so over the top soap opera, but yet you just can't quit reading. And But the third act, you're like, well, he's got to come back and resolve these things, but I don't care that much. And then there's one during the Napoleonic War, similar situation. So um, maybe that was just kind of his failing as an author. He'd work his way towards the really satisfying middle part. And then, well, I've got to finish. You know, a shot mm-hmm. rang out and everybody fell dead. <laughs> this is how I could do it. Not exactly Julie, you, that way. You read a, a different audiobook than I think we did. Oh, uh, yeah. Who, it was, who did you do? Simon Vance, it, as Robert Whitfield, he has a couple of different names he'll record under. Mm-hmm. The library had it, and oh man, it was really good. Yeah, he would have been yeah. good. Um, I was pretty happy with Gord McKenzie from uh, Liverbox. I like him too, though. Yeah. Oh, had you heard it before? I listened to part of it, and then I said, I wonder what else is out there, if anybody else has really recorded it. And the library happened to have the Simon Vance version. Okay. So I got that just to compare, and I wound up listening to that. But um, I like Gord McKenzie, frankly. I, yeah, no, he was I did notice some glitches during the uh, the reading, though. Every so often, there would be a he would read out loud. X would have deleted in the middle of the text. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a minute! And so I look at the text, and and the at least the 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 the, the uh, text on Gutenberg yeah suggests that there were some. Uh, Curse words and were not cut out. And oh. It's just like, why, why are you reading out X with it deleted? Come on, Gordon. Yeah. Name of name. Yeah. Name of name. Nom de nom. Uh, uh, really? So, what was de- what were these words that were deleted? I don't. I don't know. It's, I can't imagine there was anything. Uh... He was probably just literally reading the text, and the editor didn't catch it and go, "Hey, man, go back and fix it." Yeah. Oh, that's annoying. Because uh, in the Gutenberg version, there's some words just which just, are struck out. Yeah, uh-huh. I just assumed okay. I just assumed that that was sort of in keeping with the. Um, yeah, I did put up the whole uh, novel, so I guess I could go look though. The way they name towns, and they'll just have a first letter and go blank. <laughs> like, well, yeah, so that like that's that, that's a 19th century, you know, uh, fact the case of uh, M. Valdemar, right? Is set in a right. the, the year of 18. 
blank, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of a make it more authentic technique. Uh, but in keeping with the, uh, you know, there's that whole, every once in a while, like, in a letter found in the archives of, wait a second. <laughs> where is the rest of this information coming from? He's <laughs> like, who's writing that? Is that Sabatini ri- telling us that this is a true story? And that these are real records? I don't think so. I meant to look well, up well, if the, this was based on a real character or not. Well, the, there's oh, intimations God. that it's a real story and that because he keeps mentioning at points that, oh, this was lost. We don't have this anymore. Right, right. Intimation says it's a lost tale of the French Revolution. Yeah. Right. From the side. Um, but sp- sp- speaking of uh, stories based on Scaramouche, have any of you read Lord Valentine's Castle? Of no. course. Oh, yeah. That's love S- it. Silverberg, right? That's Silverberg, yeah. I love it. Okay. For the, li- for the listeners who haven't read it, and you should, uh, it's set on the planet called Magipore. It's a, I guess, science fantasy is the best way to describe the novel because you have. You have mm-hmm. alien races, and you also have fantastic elements with the dream magic and whatnot. And the main the main character winds up joining pretty early on a wandering group of performers and wanders across the planet with them, very Scaramouche yeah. style. You're right, mm-hmm. juggling. Yeah, juggling. Yeah, Lord Valentine's Castle. Right. Lord Valentine's Castle. Okay. Yep. That's a series as well, though. Yeah, too, it's right? a series. Yeah. I it's, didn't it's, read it's, any of the other. Well, I guess I read the second one, but it wasn't. But what's interesting about that one is he wakes up with amnesia. He's just sitting there going, I don't know who I am or how I got here. Huh, I guess I'll go down yeah. to this town down here. <laughs> and so what happens is he finds his motivation as he goes, and he's struggling against what he feels he's being called to do, essentially, um, because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to return to what he'd forgotten. I guess that's a, the best non-spoilerish way to say it. What do you think? Paul? Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, it's a that's a good. Yeah, I don't want to spoil. Uh, yeah, it's it's simply fantastic. Yeah. Look, it's uh, the the imagination of the different races because it's a very evenly mixed planet. No one has really the advantage over the others, but there is yet a system of I guess quasi government, global government that all of them experience. It's really fascinatingly told. I would not have connected it with this, but I guess it's all of a piece with the person who doesn't know who they are, and so they just take up, oh, look, I've got this skill. I'll join this these wanderers, because I'm just starting to listen again to, because I got a review copy, thanks to SFF, of uh, the old Curiosity Shop. Mm. And, Ooh, and the okay. reason I thought, SFF listeners would like it is it's essentially like Lord Valentine's Castle or this or Nicholas Nickleby where Nell and her grandfather they're on the lamb for most of the book and Dickens just places them in amongst all these weird performers and museums and just the oddities of country society at the time it's it's really wonderful that way so has anyone of you seen uh Comédie del del art performed like is this still a thing like you know that there's sort of like uh in england where they have uh pantomime right that's mm-hmm. still sort of thing right where it's silent isn't it pantomime yeah I, I think and you're right because i was structuring the book when they suddenly said i'll write things that have a script and you're not just left on your own and i suddenly went wait is that what everybody's been doing 
well, I hadn't well, caught that this, up to that just point. For this particular um, sort of theater. Theater, yeah. And and he did write some things and, and put them in their mouths. He said, I want you to say right. this at this point, rarely. Right. I don't, yeah. I don't, I've never heard of one coming to Toronto, for instance, yeah. that I've noticed and said, oh, like, you know, there's improv and there's plays. I've never seen anything right. where every night they wing it. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah. no. Yeah, it's it, improv is is a thing, but it's and it has you but know, not to a script see, usually, right? Well, no, like no. It, there was a there was a series of shows based out of the UK and then in the United States uh, had like a couple of actors and then you know guest people um, whose line is, is it anyway? Any, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is yeah. fun and cute, uh, and they they do kind of have stock characters they go to i i I really was taken with the uh with the idea of these stock characters and uh like pantaloon what a fun (laughs) just see him there he's he's pants he's big big ballooning pants right um and the one one of the ones that sort of related is harlequin which of course we've all heard of uh a harlequin but i wasn't super familiar with scaramouche the little skirmisher Mm -mm. um as a as a type, but I was very much sort of taken with the idea that yeah, even Shakespeare uses types, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got his doddering old uh, learned fool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's got his young vigorous uh, uh, hero with a sword. He's got uh, a brooding older man uh, who, you know, it, it, there there are these types and take you know t- you know in in the theater, one plays one's role. You know, you start off as the maiden, you end up as the matron. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, and m- maybe you're the nurse in between, right? Mm-hmm. You've got you've got these roles for yourself. Um, and and I I was taken very much with that. We do take on roles, and actors like when when Scaramouche is talking to Pantaloon. He says, "You're playing pantaloon when you're mad at me, right? Right. You're 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 turning the the drama of of this situation uh, based on your character's reaction to it. You're and and what you're actually now that you're saying it that does make the whole book really more meta. Because, oh, it's very meta. Because mm-hmm. now as Scaramouche, he's he actually is even more okay. I'm just going to improvise. What would my character do now throughout the whole thing?" Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, so now I've I'm I've landed in this um, fencing school. What's my character gonna do? Oh, he's just, gonna read books and become a master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which kind of went back to his natural inclination. That's why he was so even-handed at the beginning of the book because all he had was book learning as his law legal training. Yeah, and so he's kind of using the things that are natural to him. But you're right; he's using the acting thing because that's what who he really is, as he discovered. Yeah, and that's- yeah, and the as a lawyer, if you, I didn't go back and reread the beginning, but I I think there's a sequence very early, and it, I I had difficulty getting into the book because it was so boring. Like at the beginning, it's just conversations in rooms. I was you know? thinking about that when I was listening, going, "Wow, he really yeah, requires like, commitment from you." At the beginning. Well, I, I I went with it, and I was right to do so because pretty soon after we're in a sword fight. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm fine with. And, it happens. And then you know, there's I'm gonna get my justice, and you know, the failing to get justice is 
and then Man on the Run, which I'm always a fan of in, in genre, you know, that's, that's so much the trying to get so, stuff done, uh, sort of Man on the Run, Man being hunted. That's usually how they start the adaptations is, you know, Man on the yeah. Run. Um, but I think there's, there's something very interesting about how he does start off as this, he won't take in that first part, he won't take any, particular side with his friend right he says well i'm a lawyer and you know as a lawyer uh, you take the side of of your client yeah right and then he goes and becomes a uh, he takes on the role of his dead friend and becomes vociferous <laughs> and um uh, attacks the establishment right and mm -hmm. uh, tries to get justice and then uh as a in his two careers as a as a swordsman and a politician, oh sorry, three careers: politician, swordsman, <laughs> and actor. He goes from a place of one position and becomes another one. So he starts off as the actor, um, acting and raising the company up, and then he ends up basically destroying the company. Right? Well, then. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Then he moves to uh, the the swords. Swordsman, he starts off as the trainee, becomes the master. Mm -hmm. um, th this time, not killing his, his, uh, or attempting to kill his, his boss. And then he, a politician, he starts off as, uh, you know, a, a lowly guy, gets a reputation, and then betrays it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, you have sympathy for that. But there is like sort of a coming back always to the fact that I'm on whatever side I'm on. Well, I would say, though, the one motivating factor that drives him through everything is his friendship, right? For the guy, the young man, the young priest to be who's killed early on. And if you look at the book, uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, but a lot of the things that drive him to change his direction are based on other friendships that betray him. And yeah. he has friendship as the prime motivating factor. He is never not true to his friend. And the other friend that he finds who he can truly believe in is Aileen. Yeah. So uh, he is constantly – and the and his friendship for the guy who was running the fencing school. He cared enough to kind of change the way he'd fight him and that kind of thing and not have to, oh, I can always win. And when his friend dies, he takes the school on. Now it's opportune. It but it's also, in a way, being true to his friend. It's yeah. carrying on his legacy, right? When, when Clement, and that's the the daughter, right, um, of Benet, yeah, um, starts courting, <laughs> oh. courting his dad. <laughs> well, but he doesn't know he's his father till the end. I know, so. but when when that it happens, count. Like, it's like I'm burning this place down. <laughs> oh yeah, this Basically. is happening. You betrayed. Um, yeah, he and just that warned her. She wouldn't listen. Yeah, and uh, I I thought that that relationship um, was really interesting too because that is that is the traditional way of uh, you know you suck up to power, right? Mm -hmm. Power mm -hmm. comes into the room, you suck up to power, and we didn't know. Like I thought, Benet was he was um, I thought he was at heart a good guy. I did too at the beginning. Like he unfolded kind of as mm -hmm. you went yeah. along. And I think that that is very subtle because I think it was well clear that he was a good guy, even though he kept threatening to expose him, you know, for the money. Um, 
he, you know, we we thought, no, he's gonna he's gonna change direction. He's gonna come to love this guy. <laughs> and we, I was, I was in, I was, I was gonna say, I was in bed with Clement. <laughs> I was on board. <laughs> Everybody wished they were being <laughs> apparently. Um, I, I was on board with Clement being, uh, you know, his wife. Sure. Mm-hmm. I was on. I was up for that absolutely, and uh, that's the one thing I wanted to say that was. Uh, I, there was a couple of good things about the 1952 adaptation, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of them is the ending is better, um, and the reason is uh, Clement. We find out, uh, you know, he marries Aline or whatever. They go off. Um, uh, his his brother, not his dad. Uh, uh, is sort of a reconciliation there, even though that doesn't make any sense. Anyways, um, with Clement, she gets a consolation prize, uh, a young person. <laughs> <concert>. <laughs> <laughs> with a, with a, uh, a desire to always put his hand in his shirt. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was like, shirt. oh yeah, that's, <laughs> and it is played for comedy, um, a lot more than, than, uh, the book. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought that that little bit was good from the movie. I I don't think any of the plot changes really were good. There were, but the action sequence, wow, really good sword oh fight sequence. Oh my gosh! And, you know, it's worth watching just for that. that the, 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 the fight in the theater. Oh, the, the, yeah. the seven minute fight in the theater was they're swinging around and going through all this oh, terrain amazing. and going at each Jump. other. It, it's, wow. it's 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 I. I remembered that from it seeing it years ago. I remember, oh yeah, that this, this is the movie that has that big sword fight in the theater. That's the only thing I remembered before actually seeing the movie. And then when it came to book, like, wait, where's the seven? Where's the long sword fight in the theater? Like, oh, oh, crap. Yeah. I mean, we do get a little bit of sword fighting, but um, there is a, there is a lot more off stage. Even you know, in the movie, they do his "I will meet you behind the cathedral." That's in the that's straight from the book. One of the few things that is straight from mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. Uh, although I don't think they said the cathedral. No. Um, but yeah, but very where he goes, he just keeps killing members of the of the <laughs> well, title classes. That's they keep challenging him. So, well, yeah. So it, that that's what I'm talking about. Like the the morality is weird in that he kills uh somebody who we are thinking is a good guy, or tries to or shoots him anyways. He forgives the whole guy who motivated the the, the revenge, boss. um, and betrays his his team. Well, right? but, but you know, Binet did, did encourage his daughter to go after to go oh, for the absolutely. Enemy. So and, like and, he wasn't. And, and and she's on board with that too. She, yeah, so they're both re- kind yeah, of Binet, nefarious. And Binet resented him. He was ready to do him oh. in at a moment's notice because, as they point out, he used to have power and be respected and run things. He conveniently chooses to forget how terribly he was doing at it. Yeah. But he doesn't like being upstaged. Um, I, I Can I say something about the movie really quick? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm now officially in love with Mel Farrar. <laughs> what a great bad he, guy bad he guy. was. He, but he was the smooth, charming bad. He was the bad boy who I'm like, I not sure which way I'd go on this one. I liked his style. And he was, you know, it was funny because I had heard of him before and I was like, he'd married Audrey Hepburn. He's ha- he'd had a string of wives and I was like, telling my husband, I'm like, and I understand why. Holy moly. 
that guy had some kind of charisma to me anyway. I'm like, wow. He played a marquee? Yes. Yes. And I loved the, also, the thing about the movie I thought was effective is it really showed, like you said, it had more flashes of other kinds of humor, kind of like the taming of the shrew kind of humor. Yeah. But yeah. it had, um, you, I understood more the kind of humor that Scaramouche was doing. And the kind of and they kind of conveyed pretty well the kind of sophistication he brought to it, even though they weren't showing a an extension of uh, the acting skills and everything. You could see how grander it was getting, mm. better audiences were coming, and so I really liked how a lot of that was visualized, even though they yes. I didn't like the choppiness or how they changed some things. But um, it's it's worth seeing for some of that stuff, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It, um, does, it, it does. Go ahead, surprising. No, I was just gonna say, what do you think about? Stuart Granger, like, well, I, I don't think I'd seen him in anything before. Um, but, but the thing is, is, is like, you say, that's the leading man. He's not <laughs> handsome. He's not ugly, but he's not handsome. And then you see him in the acting scene and it's, aha! I get it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like sort of a unhandsome Errol Flynn. He knows what he's doing when it comes to bounding around these things. Or Tyrone Power. Let's, let's yeah. go there. Come on. Okay. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I was like, no, it's pretty good. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is pretty, uh, yeah. pretty amazing skill. And he's, it'd be like, um, you know, there's some Hollywood actors that are B actors because they, because they're not handsome, right? They're not George Clooney. Right. And you give them the role because they, <laughs> because they can physically perform the stunts. That is unheard of today, right? They just get a oh. stunt guy in and mm-hmm. do, do a, but you can see that it's Stuart Granger doing at least a lot of that stuff. Well, to me, he's like, in that sense, you're talking about unhandsome, but still star quality is like Matt Damon, who I look at and just go, he looks like an average Joe. But wow, you know, yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah. yeah but that had big. to get discovered. <laughs> you yeah, know? That's true. Well, but we had so. seen Stuart Granger some months ago, Jesse. Remember when we Did watched we? Um, Prisoner of Zenda? He's the Was lead. Was that him as well? Yeah. Gee, well, that was years ago, though. I think. No, um, no, it was, just, it was like it came out about the same year or like a year after. No, 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 I no, I mean. Oh, that the, was the, the podcast Zenda, oh, yeah. yeah In your podcast okay. memory. I yeah. no, I I guess I hadn't recognized him. Yeah, um, I recognized. Was so like okay, so then uh, I can see. Yeah, apparently doing sword fighting was his thing in the fifties. Okay, I can yeah. I can go with that. Um, what, what was I going to say? Um. One of the things I did appreciate about the movie is the, the novel does go deep into French Revolution politics, and I'm going to yeah. thank the Revolutions podcast because I didn't know a lot right. about I didn't know a lot about the French Revolution, just the very very basics until I listened. Very to, hard to understand and, what's and, going and, on until I listened to uh, the the Revolutions mm-hmm. podcast on, and it's like. So when it came to this book, it's like, okay, I understand. Oh, oh, this is what this and this is that. And the the movie can't spend two hours on the French Revolution. So <laughs> that, so they do make it personal by making the Marquis a cousin of Marie Antoinette, which doesn't quite right. work because Marie Antoinette's no, Austrian, but right. it does it does give a personal <laughs> stake to the whole aristocrats versus um, third estate by making it a personal relationship. You got to deal. You got to deal with these people. They're putting they're putting these leaflets in my bedchamber. So I, I yeah. did appreciate that. I mean, it's it's a vast simplification. That, but it at least uh, everyone everybody who's going to see the 
theater that knows who Marie Antoinette is, like, okay, this is French Revolution, we get it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I did, so I did appreciate that shortcut that the novel can not take and just go deep and in, deep into the weeds of uh, nominating electors to uh, to Paris and stuff. There's one there's one fact uh, that was striking to me uh, that's mentioned in the book. I'm talking about, you know, I, I was thinking how appropriate this book is. So we're on a powder keg uh, <laughs> politically. I mean, if you think what just happened in the news yesterday or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The UK, you know, that that is fueled by resentment, not fueled by, uh, you know, positive cold logical thinking. Right? It's, it, it's it's like we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot because we don't like the shoe. Right. <laughs> or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, the, bite off your nose to spite your face. Right, bite off your own nose. There you go. <laughs> Which is I've impressive. never heard that version. I always heard cut off your <laughs> nose, but I like bite off your nose. You're going to work hard at it. <laughs> it's good. a lot more work, but yeah. <laughs> you'll appreciate it more. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but so you've got an, an election coming up in the States. Oh, Lord. Um, I think no matter what happens, uh, there's well, still going to be a so ton of resentment. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what happens. Um, and it, it, there is a powder keg. And the thing is, is what I don't know enough about the French Revolution to, to be satisfied. Like if you ask me about World War One or World War Two, I can basically give you chapter and verse on every part of it. Mm-hmm. French Revolution, I know barely anything about it. You know, I know kind of what's going on here. And, but when you start getting into like the, the committee of this and the why this particular action sort of happened, I'm terrible. But what I can tell you is that there was one striking fact. It was the the title class, the titled classes or the entitled classes, the second estate, I think it's called. First and second estate. So the first estate is the the clergy and the the uh, uh, nobility. No, 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 nobility is first. Nobility is first, church is second. Oh, church is second. Okay, people are third, and the king is not involved. Right, right. he's not in. He's not in the state. Above um, all, right. So the the people are upset with the first estate because it's twenty four percent of the population with ninety nine percent of the power. Oh yeah, and it's I'm definitely like, a one percent, not ninety nine percent. Yeah, but twenty four percent of the people are are in that class. We don't have that situation. Our situation, and I was like, how can this? How can that powder keg explode that way? Well, one of the things is we don't have starvation in the streets, which is one of the yeah, reasons they're you, abusive. You, mm-hmm. it, right. Well, we've got abusive. I mean, if you think about how. How uh, justice works for the rich and justice works for the poor. We've got abuses, hell, yeah, hell of abuse happening, not, right? Yeah, but not writing down people and being ele- – I mean, of course, I'm thinking of Tale of Two Cities or people start – you know what I'm saying, Jesse. Come yeah. on. Uh, I, Widespread I, I, with no media to care and no nothing or other. That's what I'm saying. That's French every, Revolution times versus now. Uh, everything, everything you're saying, Julie, doesn't reinforce your point in my mind. It's uh, like no, that's ex- you know we don't have a. Uh, in in any case, I want. I I'm not trying to get down that direction. What I'm trying to say is 24% versus the 1% of the 1% or whatever it is. Um. How can this difference is is because production 
you know, the amount of efficiency we've had in that period has gone through the roof, right? Mm -hmm. If you wanted to have uh, food back in the old day, you had to have people on farms making the food and not having all the food, you know, being shipped out, out of the country. We don't have that problem anymore. Almost nobody works in the food industry, right? Almost <laughs> nobody because it's all automated or what isn't automated is, you know, done through uh, you know, things that are causing political problems <laughs> in certain countries. And in any case, um, I just think it's a, an astounding thing that you could have uh, only, a, you know, a quarter of the population uh, and and have revolution. Whereas here we we have one percent of the one percent, and there's no revolution. But the difference impressive. is, I mean, here everybody still is everybody still is fed. Everybody still can watch TV. That's, like everybody can still have such a great life. It's not and it's not fair. I don't. I I, I am the opposite end of uh, like you know me, Jesse. I'm far away to the left, but but there's the impetus isn't there. But I think that that it relates back to the Benets, right? The daughter and the father. The sucking up to power, that's still around. <laughs> oh, and yeah. that kind of betrayal uh, of your class, of your sympathy, right, is like, oh, yeah, well, okay, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if it's immoral for my daughter to have an illicit relationship which will produce a bastard child, just like the main character is a bastard child. Oh, except that's okay because he's a noble. There's there's something fundamentally like when I find found out that he was really a noble, I was like I was betrayed. Right? Was because betrayed. I was thinking, I was betrayed because I was thinking it, Sabatini's following into following into this long line of pattern where everybody's secretly noble. Right. All the main characters have to be secretly noble. Well, but and even before that, we were led to believe it was his godfather who was also noble. So that's not changing anything about the relationship. It's just well, who is he related we to? We didn't know that. That we didn't know that it was. No, him. but we're led no. to believe it, and therefore you kind well, of feel like that's was, and the, the and the main character thinks it thinks he yeah, is. So yeah, that's but yeah, that was a similar. I understand that, but there's there's this thing where. Once he finds out that his dad is is the guy who's been trying to destroy, he's like, oh, oh, never mind, <laughs> never mind all that stuff. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, you're you're fighting in the trenches for justice, and and then you 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 win the lottery, and you say, oh, forget about that stuff. <laughs> I just don't think I felt like that was what happened That's the at the end. We live in. I think. I, I mean, think I understand. Not... I understand you feeling betrayed. I I felt that with my books myself, about? but. Um, but what I'm upset about Julie is that I think that the, it's very realistic is the problem. The book is very, very realistic. Yeah. Well, humans are human. I, what did I read the other day? It was a review of some book I want to read. It's called something like a, a thousand years in a day or a million years in a day or something. Anyway, it's kind of talking about how did, you know, throughout the ages, what did people have for breakfast throughout the ages? What did they, how did they sleep? Whatever. Um, and one of the quotes from the book was something like, history doesn't repeat itself, people repeat themselves. Because the thing is, is people are people are people, which yeah. really resonated with me. And that's why we keep following some of these same patterns, you know. But there is there is something noble, no matter how horrible, and it is very horrible, the French Revolution. Oh, yeah. But there's something yeah. very noble about the liberty, egalité, fraternity, it right? It is, it, it, yeah. And it leads to it leads to some horrors of dictatorship, but 
thinking like how did it get that bad looking at it it is i mean it's mentioned right in the book that that we just finished reading scaramouche it's like the reason it got this way is because the the resistors to change were pulling dirty tricks assassinating Mm -hmm. you know the people who are trying to get reform there was a reform plan right we're going to get a constitution and then sabotage and betrayal by those who quote-unquote are noble and they're not noble those quote-unquote who are um honorable and they're not honorable like this like exactly like his dad stabbing a guy provoking an attack in a calculated move like chess right that's mentioned i guess in the i'm not sure it's in the book now but in a very calculated attack it might have been in one of the movies it was a very calculated attack that that yeah that was wrong that provoking a guy into it's like a a boxer, you know, professional boxer challenging me to a fist fight in the street. Um, if I get pushed down and I'm on, somebody's videotaping me, I probably wouldn't want to back down, um, because of, you know, my honorableness, but that's murder, right? That was an intent for murder if it's a planned thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why, uh, you know, dueling is sort of banned and we sort of, have problems with uh, UFC or that sort of thing because we know that it's wrong. People professionally <laughs> training to kill each other is, is not a good thing because it it it's it's a problem. So we should yeah. use our words, not hit each other. <laughs> well, <laughs> I use our lawyers. Well, that's true. I'm just saying, in the most basic level, you know, yeah. that's not how you change anything. I'm sorry, I, w- I went off there. Well, I, I could because I don't know that much about the French Revolution. I mean, I know the basic overriding structure, but but I, I went to Wikipedia and and I actually was surprised when I read um, that they transformed into a democratic and secular society with freedom of religion, legalization of divorce, decriminalization of same-sex relationships, yeah. and civil rights for Jews and Black people. And I was like, are you? That was in 1793. Why are we doing this? Like just yeah. what Julie just said. Again and again and again and again and again. Like, can we can we not get past this stuff? It, it was also they freed every slave, yeah, right? They freed yeah. every slave, not just in not just in France, but in the colonies, right? So all these black people who are not like French people, right? Who are not peasants, but are people not even from France, don't even speak French in some cases, in foreign lands. This this is a a very very honorable sort of <laughs> action that has very very little to do with the selfishness and more with the consistency of you know high morality is what right. I would be saying That's and yet it's betrayed yeah Alexander yeah. Dumas half they, black they, his father was a black general in France right. oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah oh yeah this but was they, allowed they, I mean yeah uh, go ahead sorry Paul. Well, there's a there's a biography of Dumas's father. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's the Black Count. Of let me check yeah. before I uh, before I commit to that. Um, yeah, the Black Count: Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and the Real Count of Monte Cristo by Tom Rice. So it's hmm. a biography of Dumas's father as a black general. I mean, he nice he was he was, he was I mean, he he fought in Italy under Napoleon and was a was a kick-ass sort of guy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah. even even Napoleon, who you know, who is a sketchy character in many respects. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. In many respects, he's a sketchy character. Um, he is 
he is doing a lot of the things like when they go into Italy, right? It's to liberate, they say, and it kind of is, but it also isn't. But it kind of is, <laughs> well, right? Then to your point, though, because the other thing it makes me think of is so they liberate all the slaves, right? And of yeah. course, governments change and everything. But wasn't the Haitian Revolution well after all that stuff? So what it means is that people weren't necessarily um, upholding those laws. Uh, uh, the, the, revolutions, right? the Revolutions podcast, which I previously mentioned, also yeah, did yeah. the Haitian Revolution. And there's lots of ups and downs. Like, And, and, he, and since he did the French first, he kept mirroring back to like, oh, well, right. there's, a, there's emancipation. And then there's attempts as as the revolution proceeded and uh Napoleon comes to power to clamp back down again and so there's there's uh independence of the slaves versus independence of the colony and the tensions between Got that it. that and the metropole. Okay. So yeah, there's yeah, there it's contemporary, those, right? Yeah, it's, it's contemporary. Not, it's, it's happening at the same time. It, well, and the, the, there is a a stranglehold on a lot of so one of the things that happens in in the uh French Revolution is is that the church is uh, its stranglehold on France is gone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's one of the estates that is devalued, and you know their lands are not, uh, you know, you don't have to pay rent on their lands anymore, basically. And that's true for a lot of places, but guess what? Not in Quebec because Quebec by then had already been, you know, taken. Uh, the Brits and yeah. and the stranglehold on Quebec lasted until the 1960s. And they call that the quiet revolution, when suddenly the Catholic Church is no longer running things. And you think the 1960s, it was a quiet revolution. There wasn't a lot of blood in the streets. And that's mm-hmm. it, it, it is in, it's amazing that so many weird things are yep. Fun connected. Fact. Louisiana, mm-hmm. the, the political union is not called counties. It's called parishes mm-hmm. to this day. Well, they still use Napoleonic law as the basis for their state laws, so, yep. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though Napoleon <laughs> sold them out, literally. Yep. He literally sold them yep. out. Indeed. I mean, his pl- Napoleon's grand plan was to take back Haiti, and he'd use Haiti and the Louisiana to have an empire in the New World, and none of it panned out whatsoever. Because his, the army he sent to Haiti all died of disease and guerrilla warfare, and so, yeah, it's like, I can't do this, so he sells out the New World. So, just to say, I know there's not a free audiobook that's by one person of Captain Blood, but another (laughs) interesting look at slavery in Barbados and kind of, and spurred by a failed English revolution is Captain Blood. (laughs) And it's got lots of pirates, many, many (laughs) pirates. Well worth, well worth reading sometime, everybody. Just, well, here's what I would say. Uh, given our success with uh, this one and the fact that it's pretty damn good books, a really good narration, I I would guess that there is a narrator out there who is willing to do it to make uh, a new LibriVox <laughs> Captain Blood or what about the Seahawk? How's that? Oh, the Seahawk, yes, but it's so over the top. Oh, man. Okay. I am going to do the Seahawk sometime, but I've, I've got other things promised at this point, but yes. But maybe somebody else would do it. I think someone will. I hope so, <laughs> if someone's listening. As Jesse starts to twist as many arms as he can. I'm just putting the suggestion out there. Uh, got it. 
This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Kids shilly shally or dilly dally. Hey, how dare you! I slap you in the face with my gloves. No there. fussing around, man. Hey. There we go. I have a sword. It's not a dueling sword. I have a sword, so don't provoke me. I have two swords. But they're up in my mom's garage. You should have sound effects for this. Dueling sound effects. Yes. Uh, you, 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 you don't clash claymores against each other, against another sword. That's not what it's for. It's meant to stab the person, so no. Oh. Well, a swishing in the air as you're getting set up. Come on. I'll meet you with ball and pistol, sir. Yeah. I don't have any guns. I know. I got a soccer ball. I have a soccer ball. <laughs> what about when steel slides against steel as somebody's parrying? That's got to be a thing. Mm-hmm. That's called flinning. Thank wow. you. Thank you. Okay. I was you hoping know, somebody would correct me on that. And but we can talk about flinning in the in the podcast. <laughs> All right, we're starting yeah. it now. Here we go. Everybody know their places? No. Yes. Yes. I'll go last. No, that's uh-huh. not where you go. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> I'm first. I don't know who's next. I'm, who's next? I'm second. Okay. okay. Then Julie. Oh, okay. Then Mike, so right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, here we go.